BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, it's been a tough year for parents. Some are wrestling with remote learning, others with spending all day, every day with their kids. Some are hustling to keep kids fed after losing work while others worry about bringing the virus home from work. And through it all are the everyday challenges and joys of raising children. What has this year in pandemic parenting been like for you? Tell us your wins and flops and what you learned along the way after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's been a tumultuous year for parents, and learning to cope was a big part of it, whether it be with remote learning while still trying to work, putting food on the table after losing a job, or worrying about bringing the virus home from a job. Too much togetherness or too much screen time? In this hour of Forum, we want to hear what parenting was like for you. The highs or lows, the things you learned along the way about your kids, yourself and how you're approaching 2021, because we all know pandemic parenting will not end on New Year's Day. Joining me now is Anne-Marie Baldonado, host of Parent Trapped, a podcast about parenting during the pandemic from Common Sense Media. Anne-Marie is also a longtime producer and contributor to NPR's Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Thanks so much for joining us, Anne-Marie Baldonado. Thank you so much. Also with us is Carvel Wallace, contributing writer at New York Times Magazine, covering race, arts, culture, and parenting, formerly Slate's parenting advice columnist and host of Slate's podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Thanks for joining us as well, Carvel Wallace. Thank you for having me. So Carvel, remind me, how old are your kids? My kids are 15 and 17. 15 and 17. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you had a bit of an epiphany recently as you were exchanging gifts this Christmas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, you know, we kind of like like a lot of families, we sort of like limped into the end of the year. <laughs> everyone was kind of on everyone's nerves and just, you know, people were fatigued. I think for I mean emotional fatigue, spiritual fatigue, physical fatigue. Yeah. It's just, you know, it was a lot. And so um, you know, we we did do a lot for Thanksgiving, like I cooked the whole thing and whatever. But then for Christmas, we were like, screw it. We're not doing any of that. And so we just sat and opened gifts. And um, 
and ordered food, but the gifts, it was so fascinating because um, their mom and I, who were not together, but who were collaborating on gifts, found that we had such a hard time planning. We just couldn't wrap our minds. Like we had all these texts where it was like, wait, are you getting this? Am I getting this? Should we do this? And we just, we realized that we had emotional fatigue and we couldn't face even the logistics of planning to get who was going to get what. And what happened is that the whole gift giving process got super simplified. The kids went to thrift stores and they just bought me and their mom stuff from thrift stores. They made um, photo albums for us. They wrote letters to us and we did the same kinds of things for them. And I realized when we were opening the gifts that not these were like the best gifts that we've ever received <laughs> because they were so personal. And I realized, wow, we've really gotten to know each other in all new ways throughout this. And some of that is just, you know, when you have kids that are teenagers, you're always getting to know them anew because they're always changing. Right. And you think they're still the nine-year-olds that you picked up from school and took to soccer practice, but to them, they're like nothing related to that person. And so you're always having this new vision of who they are. But I also think for them spending so much time with us and seeing us struggle and seeing us not have answers, it also allowed them to connect and bond with us. And what ended up happening was that these gifts were very personal and they just made me emotional. Like the letter I got from my daughter just really you know, broke me. My son got me this votive candle with James Baldwin on it, which was such a personal gift because he's an artist and it's like him recognizing me as a writer in this way and knowing that like I need this energy to do my work. It just, it broke me. It was just really beautiful. Oh, that's so, <laughs> that's so great. I mean, Anne-Marie Baldonado, curious if you notice anything over the holidays this year as well after this sort of crazy year that we've had and also remind us how old your kids are. Yeah, I think, and I think that's an important thing because I think parent, like perhaps they're all dealing with some of the same kinds of frustrations or problems, but I think the age of your kids certainly kind of dictates a lot of the experience. I have a 13-year-old and a nine-year-old, both daughters. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of maybe one thing uh, our experience speaks to is you tr have to find interesting ways to um, uh, give your kids things to do. One thing we did for our nine-year-old who one day sort of came to us like, oh, okay, I don't have anything to do, was um, what we told her to come up with a wish list <laughs> of presents. It seems a little maybe kind of, uh, you know, a little uh, flippant or like minor to talk about, but um, it was a way for her. She really thought about it and she, she also picked out presents for um, relatives we weren't seeing, like younger cousins. Mm. So, they, you know, it was, I don't necessarily want her to already learn how to online shop, <laughs> but um, it was a way of her kind of thinking through what it was like, sort of like small gifts. Uh, she wanted to sort of signal to her relatives that they could get her, but then she also kind of thought about, uh, you know, her smaller cousins or her aunts um, and what, to her felt like a personal gift to give them and maybe you know a lot of our aunts got like number one aunt mugs <laughs> but but it was like something it was something that was important to her but as far as the holidays I don't know it, I think the holidays no matter what can be kind of stressful um 
And I, 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 there was, of course, an added layer of stress that were and anxiety that we're all dealing with. Um, you can ask my family that I wasn't great at handling my own anxiety <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, this season, uh, the extra anxiety. But I don't know. I think my uh, the sort of the best times weren't necessarily on the day of the holiday, but sort of around it when we, you know, were just sort of like. Un, like unplug from all the screens that are constantly on in the house and just sort of check in with each other a little bit. And maybe our conversations are about the things that we're watching together or, you know, experiencing together. But um, I don't know. Yes, uh, well, we I'm are really certainly impressed. spending more of that time together. I impressed <laughs> you wanted... about the things we're I'm impressed your nine-year-old wanted to do this at nine. You know what I mean? It's it's still at the time when getting gifts is a, is really can be a big deal to the little ones. Right. So so right. giving and and that adjustment to wanting to do that, I, I have a sense the pandemic had something to do with it. I actually had a similar experience with my own nine-year-old and how she wanted to gift to her two younger siblings who are five and two. And she actually gave them gifts that were by far their favorites of the entire uh, sort of stash <laughs> that they received from parents who were trying to make up for all the things that they didn't have this past year. And and I do wonder if that had a lot to do with just, just the amount of time that they were around each other, maybe even more so than we were, even though we were in the house, but they were truly playing together. So, but uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Anne-Marie, that I'm struck by is just like this sense of not wanting to pass your anxieties onto your children. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that was a constant struggle during the year. Yeah, and I feel like that's a con that's maybe a constant struggle for me anyway, but certainly now it's... Uh... I think about it even more and, you know, I'd be lying if I said I'm doing a good job of it, but I'm trying to, you know, over uh, the course of the months, obviously anxiety is, you know, sort of changed and amplified and all that, but I, I'm sort of, I don't know, trying to uh, think of ways to not do this, you know, whether it be, you know, managing my own anxiety myself, but then also when that anxiety like manifests itself also talking about it. And again, this is like maybe an age thing too, but like talking about my anxiety to my kids in sort of an age specific way, you know, um, but, uh, you know, showing that it's okay. And when I do sort of mess up and like my own anxiety sort of manifests and me sort of like lashing out at whatever's going on, um, I don't know, it maybe takes a bit for in order for me to sort of own the fact that it's anxiety, you know, that's manifesting itself. But I think talking about it after maybe helps because yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not great at it, but I know that the way that I'm dealing with it, my anxiety, I'm modeling it for my kids. Mm. And it worries me when I don't do that well. Carvel Wallace, was mm. this also an issue for you? Like uh, trying to not pass on the anxiety that you or the anxiety about passing on anxiety <laughs> to your yeah. children. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. I mean, it, it is that. And I think like we have, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we struggle about trying not to pass on to our kids. Although the older they get, the more, I don't know if this is, I mean, not the, <laughs> this is like not great news, but the older we get, mm -hmm. the more we realize that it's a little bit of a futile effort because the, the children do pick up whatever battles the parents are fighting. Yeah. And I think I've experienced this with my own parentage, my whole own experience with that. And I think it's as my kids are coming into adulthood and in some manner, I mean, I can at least 
in, in look at them and envision adults, um, I see that they pick these things up whether or not we we try to whether or not we try to hide them from them. And so, in some sense, I think what Anne Marie just said was so key. What I've probably learned most is that yeah, I do pass on anxiety and fear and even some depression, which is kind of more my issue and my my son's issue. And it's funny because the mom, my their their mom and um, my daughter both tend toward anxiety, although their mom actually experienced real depression for the first time during this pandemic. And she was like, what do we, what do I do? What is this? And me and my son were both like, welcome to our world. Here's how we deal. And we felt like this finally we're useful. But, um, but I think the thing that we also get to pass on is recovery from those things, right? We get to pass on the tools by which we combat and fight and recover from those things. And that's the thing I think I really got to see um, in this during pandemic, I got to hold I got to hold it down for my son who went through some depressions. I got to hold it down for my daughter who called me up with anxiety and oh, I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid this, you know, and, and like, I'm not going to go into a lot of her stuff because the other reason, one of the reasons I stopped doing parenting stuff in a major way is because my kids got old enough that I actually realized I couldn't just be telling their personal stories on the mm -hmm. air <laughs> without their consent so it's like i have to speak in generalities in a lot of ways but you know she'll call me up and she'll be like she'll have like medical fear i have this feeling what if it's this thing dad i don't know you know and uh and i get to hold it down or she was really anxious about school if i don't get this grade then i won't go to college and nothing's going to work out and and um i got to I, I i loved getting able being able to say you know my own experience has been that I, I feared so many things when I was growing up, but I got to see the long view and I get to pass that long view to her. So I think as much as we pass the anxiety to them, we pass the recovery. We're talking with Carvel Wallace and Anne-Marie Baldonado about this year in pandemic parenting. And we want to hear from you, our listeners, about what it was like for you. What were the highs and lows? What did you learn along the way? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Carvel, when we come back from the break, I actually want to hear how you held it down. Like, what were some of the things that you did <laughs> to do that? Because I would love to know. All right, more with Carvel Wallace and Emery Baldonado. After the break, I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're hearing what the year in pandemic parenting was like for you. The highs and lows, the things you learned, how you coped. We're talking with Anne-Marie Baldonado, host of Parent Trapped, a podcast about parenting during the pandemic from Common Sense Media, a longtime producer and contributor to NPR's 
Fresh Air with Terry Gross, you might have heard, and Brie Baldonado's name often in the credits or her hosting interviews. Carvel Wallace is also with us, contributing writer at New York Times Magazine, covering race, arts, culture, and parenting, formerly Slate's parenting advice columnist and host of Slate's podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. And you, our listeners, are with us with your questions for our guests, your comments about pandemic parenting, the number 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Email us your questions or comments at forum at KQ qed.org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. And Carvel Wallace, yeah, just be, just before the break, you were talking about, you know, you were able to sort of have the long view. What were some of the things that really worked with your kids to help calm them down or, or help them deal with anxieties? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't want to overstate that I had, <laughs> that I had something <laughs> where I was like able to do a thing and got a result from them. I don't think that that's how it works. Um, it's more like, and actually, this is one of the things that she said in the in the Christmas letter to me that really I've been sitting with, um, is that I think a lot of it was about, I sort of learned the hard way to hold space. Like, I mean, like a lot of the problems I ran into parenting are stuff that my kids would do would trigger my own issues. So like if my daughter was feeling particularly anxious and out of control, that would trigger this anxious and out of control feeling in me. And I don't want that anxious and out of control feeling. So I, I quickly need to shut her down and have her stop feeling this way so that I can stop feeling this way because I'm trying to hold it together, which is like a normal pattern. But what I found was that it actually didn't help her a whole lot. And um what I sort of learned through all of the wreckage that came from that behavior to do was to like let her go through all of her feelings. Because it turns out that when I back up, she actually works through the cycle. First mm -hmm. is the anxiety, the frustration, then the anger. Then the next day she's like, well, I guess it's maybe not as bad. Then she's kind of positive and forward thinking. Now she's working on a solution. Then she realizes it wasn't that big a deal. And then she moves on. But if I let her work through that process, she usually finds her way to the other side. If I intervene, then it becomes this side battle, this side quest, where you know the sort of the initial quest is her versus the anxiety. Then I get in there and it becomes her versus me, which is not even helping her deal with the anxiety. Now it's mm -hmm. like we're beefing over whether or not she can express this or not express this, or right. should she do it this way? Which is, you know, kids don't like, teenagers don't like agreeing with their parents. That's not a thing they like to do. They really enjoy disagreeing with their parents and finding their parents wrong. So I found that the more I pushed a point of view on her, the more she was engaged in resisting that point of view. And the more she was distracted from dealing with her own stuff. So a lot of it was just learning how to give her space. Yeah, such such great points. We've got some comments and calls coming in. Susan writes, as a child psychologist and writer, I urged parents to help their kids document what they hope to keep from this time and what they're mm -hmm. determined to do when it's ended. I wrote my own children a letter on how to use this time fruitfully and not look back at what they could have done. We try to operate in a regret reduction approach. Alana tweets, fail, unlimited screen time. Win, <laughs> unlimited screen time. Challenge. Yeah. Unlimited screen time. I mean, Henry Baldonado, on your Parent Trapped podcast during the pandemic, I'm sure this came up because I know well, that this was something I worried about from the very beginning of the pandemic and probably still have as one of my top worries. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we launched the podcast back in the spring and, you know, back when, I don't know, people were watching Tiger King and 
we were learning what doom scrolling is, but um, uh, we, our first topic was screen time. Um, and it was, in a way, it's kind of quaint that that's the first thing that we dealt with, but it's still obviously something that we deal with every day still. And maybe we've been lulled into, you know, we're complacent now, but I think, you know, the thing is, it's a necessity. And, um, you know, w- one thing I learned from the expert is, 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 is that, you know, not all screen time is equal, right? You know, school isn't the same as, um, you know, Zoom meeting with uh, a friend or a relative is not the same as roadblock, you know? Um, uh, and so I try to keep that in mind. I also try to keep in mind or try to kind of uh, prevent my one daughter in particular from like watching a ton of different things on a screen at once because that's sort of like is is it uh is it too much you know but you know one thing that one expert said on the show back then and I I I don't know if I'll paraphrase it but you know if what the worst thing that happens is that um a kid watches too much Netflix during these the during quarantine. Maybe that's that's okay. If that's um, like but, the worst um, thing that happens, yeah, you mean? You know, that's maybe a little, that's yeah. If it's the worst thing uh, that happens, then maybe we'll be okay. It's a little maybe dark when you think about it, but I do think that you know, yeah, it's still something that we struggle with. It's not all the same, um, and perhaps we should sort of focus on the good uses of screen time. And maybe just keep talking about it because, yeah. you know, they're, they're, our kids, our younger kids in particular, are maybe being exposed to things online that, they're, that are new to them or were new to them, you know, nine months ago when we started. So maybe uh, use, you know, every opportunity you can to sort of talk them through what they're processing, like any other media, you know. Well, Carvel Wallace, did you even try, I mean, with a 15 and a 17-year-old? <laughs> No, we feel pretty confident that we lost that battle some years ago. Um, <laughs> it's just like, it's over, like we lost. And um, we also lost the sugar button junk food battle too, if we're, if we're just, mm. you know, if we're just like, and I think even when I was hosting the podcast a couple of years ago, I think I was had already reached the conclusion that it's we had lost. Like we, you know, when we were like these conscientious parents, our kids are only gonna watch, you know, 30 minutes of TV a day and they're only gonna eat organic snacks, you know, sweetened with like date sugar or whatever. (laughs) And then it's just now there's just like, they're in the rooms, there's like hot Cheetos and Arizona iced teas everywhere. And um, yeah, you know, I, I tend to just think like, I don't love it, but it is what it is. And I also kind of trust that. Um, I think there's a certain amount of trust that goes into having kids at this age. I like my, my anxiety tells me they're going to, these terrible things will happen to them if they watch this much TV and it might, but I also am like trust their process a little bit that they will find their limits. They might recognize they feel uncomfortable. I might help them recognize like maybe sitting in front of a screen all day is contributes to this feeling. Maybe you want to do something different, but I don't get to force that solution on them. I get to sort of model it myself, suggest it myself, and then kind of let them do what they, what they can do. We also mm-hmm. try to incorporate kind of like what Anne-Marie said, we also try to incorporate the sharing of content. We've always had this thing, um, <clears throat> particularly in my house that we used to call link roundup, which is when the kids were little, we would get together and everyone would show 
a thing that they had seen on the internet that they wanted the rest of the family to see. So it might, and then there were rules like you went, it was a round robin thing. You it could, be, could not be longer than 10 minutes. No one could interrupt it. And so it, in this way, kids got to process what they saw on YouTube and show it to the family and then we could talk about it together. And even though we don't officially do it that way as an event anymore, it still comes up. So like my daughter got really into euphoria uh, at the beginning of pandemic. Um, my son is really into this, the television show Small Acts right now. And he insists on us watching it. And like my daughter, like my son's a little bit of like a film guy or like a budding film guy. And so my daughter kind of like rolls her eyes at like his kind of like pretentious film gig. But the rules of the house are that if someone wants to show something, you we take turns and then we're going to like give it a chance and it always opens up these really interesting discussions about mm. history class race consent uh, money drugs and the kids are showing us these things because they want us to see them and talk about the stuff that's in them and right. so that's the best we can make of screen time so not fighting it but joining it and absolutely i think that those are actually really rich things but also what i feel like i'm hearing from both of you was just this sense of getting down to what is really important and not necessarily putting restrictions mm. on everything, right? But just really learning what those key and fundamentally important things are and making sure those things are all right. Uh, let me go to Ashley in San Francisco. Hi, Ashley. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm well. You're on. Good. Um, yeah, so, you know, one thing that really helped me and my daughter um, this year was, and she actually kind of initiated it, um, was we used to have, and we still do, um, meditation and uh, breathing time, as well as what we call kind of like mini therapy sessions. And so much so that she made a little sign. She's 11. And she made a little sign and she put it on her door to let people know that we were having a therapy session. But we would, we would definitely take time out of our day, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. We were trying to do it probably every day or every other day to breathe three to five minutes, um, have a little bit of meditation. And then, you know, she would, she would say, I need some therapy, mom. Or she would say, mom, do you need therapy tonight? So things like that really helped us kind of get through some of those darker days, you know, for, for all of us. And yeah. she made me very cognizant of it as well, which was amazing. I mean, again, she's 11. So the fact that she was kind of saying to me, mom, I think you need some therapy tonight. I was like, you know what? I do. You're right. I do need some therapy tonight. So I don't know if that'll help anybody else, but it really helped us. Well, Ashley, thanks for sharing that. Um, Julia writes, my son is almost 14, very social, really lives for his friends and connections. He's been gaming nonstop because he's on with 10 or more of his friends. They watch movies together online. They talk about life. I occasionally overhear him laughing and joking and feel like he at least has some sense of connection with friends. His dad and I are divorcing and have moved during this pandemic. So much going on, but I had to let go of a lot of the normal parenting tactics. I've had to quote, let go. And that is hard for me. Uh, Julia brings up so many great things. One of the things, though, that I definitely hear in what she was writing about really being cognizant about how her son was socializing while gaming. I mean, the lack of socialization, was that hard on either of your kids? Um, Anne-Marie, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think so. And with the younger kids, I think that's kind of, um, you know, sort of harder to deal with because I think, you know, and I focused on this too, like in thinking about my younger daughter's like anxiety because, um, you know, sometimes 
she'd kind of lash out for a reason or be grumpy. And, you know, I kind of like, instead of, this is my best self, instead of responding to that, Mm -hmm. I tried to think of kind of what's going on. Like, is she, you know, and when she says she's bored, like, what does that really mean? And I think that, you know, at times I think that she's lonely or she wants to Mm -hmm. connect with someone. And I do think, you know, speaking of screen time, I think early on something that like that, that um, listener just pointed out, I think, you know, one instinct is to sort of cut down gaming or, you know, sort of that, that being something uh, a, a part of screen time that may be you know, is, is, can become too much, but it's hard to do that when that ends up being one of the ways that your kid communicates with other people, you know? Um, And I do, so that, you know, sort of leaning to that and letting um, my kid do that, even though it's not my favorite, you know, some of the games she plays, not my favorite, but if that's the way that she's connecting with other people, I'm just going to sort of have to deal with it. And then maybe I can talk to her about why that's not my favorite kind of game um, for some reason. And then the other thing I think, and this maybe depends on where you live and what restrictions are, you know, sort of allowing our kids to, uh, you know, if restrictions allow for this in, in, you know, your geographic location to, to meet in a in a park or in a field, or if you're lucky enough to live near a field, um, and allow your kids to visit with friends in a mask, socially distant, um, safe way. Um, and, you know, in, in the middle part of the pandemic, you know, in those early months, we didn't know if that was, you know, appropriate, yes. but, um, but hopefully finding appropriate ways to do that. But I think, yeah, for younger, I mean, for any age, it's hard, but perhaps, the teenagers are a little bit, or, you know, preteens are maybe a little equipped, well-equipped to sort of find ways to reach out because they have also more devices too. That's the other thing. Remember being out, like really thinking about when our kids could get, uh, you know, an iPad or, you know, like a device, you know, is it, are they too young? And you have to kind of relax because, and allow, open that up a little bit because that ends up being their only way of reaching out. And I mean, you're absolutely right, Emery Baldwin, in terms of thinking about the lack of social interaction. I mean, we are right now at this point where California is becoming the epicenter of the pandemic and, and mm-hmm. lockdown is going to go into high gear at the moment. And Carvel Wallace, curious as well for you about how your kids dealt with the lack of social interaction or are dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was harder for my daughter who is particularly social person. I think her friend group was like really, she had a lot invested in it before this happened. Um, my son, like, I think was a little bit like had an easier time um, with it. But, you know, it is true that it's that it's so much easier when they're older. Like I, you know, my kids were little. I was a stay at home dad. That, and I just remember, like, just the logistical nightmare of having young kids. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to to do this under these circumstances, because a lot changes when they get older, but one of the my favorite things that have changed is like they can manage the logistics on their own. My daughter can say, "Oh, I'm gonna go hang out with so and so. We've texted, we've coordinated. Can you just get me to the thing, or I can take a bus, or I can bike over a couple of blocks to their house, and we're gonna like meet in the park or walk around downtown together." And it was interesting because at the beginning, we, you know, my kids were also got very involved in protests in the summer. And that was a thing that I had 
we both had incredibly mixed feelings about. Of course, we supported them expressing themselves, but we also felt really afraid of some of the dangers they encountered through that. But again, you reach a certain point where you're like, you can't really tell your kids not to do stuff, really. I mean, unless you really want to physically <laughs> stand in front of the door, which you have to weigh the pros and cons of. But and during, you know, when when they were first going out and organizing these things and joining with other kids, we were really adamant. We had these terrible fights about mask safety. We were like, what are you doing? We, we came to pick you up and you guys had your mask on. And what's this? And my daughter was like really fighting with us. Oh, dad, you're being so ridiculous. You know, that kind of thing. It's like a classic adolescent parent fight about safety and boundaries. But it was like mm-hmm. this life or death thing, which right, actually, a deadly a virus. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these adolescent con- things are about that, right? I mean, even before the pandemic, it's like it's like about driving and about h- hanging out with certain kids and going into certain situations. It does it, it for parents. It is life and death, and the kids are like, it's about my freedom. We had this big blowout with her right at the beginning of that, and she fought with us and fought with us and fought with us, and then literally the next day, she was the biggest pro mask police officer in our family. <laughs> She was making sure everyone was wearing masks. And I started noticing that that was a trend of kids in our neighborhood. I would drive around in like May, April and see kids like running around without masks by like June, especially after the protest. Mm -hmm. Every time I saw a group of kids in public, they had masks on. Mm -hmm. It was like really, and, and now it's just like every group of kids that you see, whether they're shopping or walking down the street, they're masked up and there's no parents around looking at them. That's just what, they've it's just reached them and so i think that has helped me like have a a lot more confidence that again they have to be internally motivated to do stuff i can preach all i want about getting them to do stuff but they don't do it unless they're internally motivated and so we just had to let them see what it really was about for them to take ownership over that kind of safety and that ownership has allowed them to be more social in ways that they need to we're talking with Carvel Wallace, contributing writer at New York Times Magazine. And, and Carvel, I want to shout out your piece in June, trying to parent my black teenagers through protest and pandemic. It was a great article in New York Times Magazine that came out June 15th of 2020. Emery Baldonado is also with us, a longtime producer and contributor to NPR's Fresh Air. She hosted Parent Trapped, a podcast about parenting during the pandemic from Common Sense Media. We're talking about the year in parenting during the pandemic with you, our listeners. Tell us what were your highs and lows, what you learned, how you changed uh, about the way that you parented over the year. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about parenting this year. 
the highs, the lows, the things you learned. And also we want to know how you're approaching 2021 because pandemic parenting is not going to end. There are still many months ahead of the kinds of things that we've experienced. And after having been through it for a year, what are the ways that you are thinking about going into 2021? We're talking with Carvel Wallace, formerly of Slate's parenting advice columnist and host of Slate's podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, contributing writer at New York Times Magazine covering race, arts, culture, and parenting, and Anne-Marie Baldonado, host of Parent Trapped, a podcast about parenting during the pandemic from Common Sense Media, a longtime producer and contributor to NPR's Fresh Air. You, our listeners, are with us, 866-733-6786, emailing us at forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And let me go to Karen in San Francisco. Hi, Karen. Join us. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for this program. I feel like I've learned so much <laughs> in the last, like, you know, bit of time I've been listening. Um, so I have a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. They're both boys. And, um, and the thing that I think uh, that I've done differently or that because the situation has um, brought up for me is that I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. And I had lived in a shelter and I had moved away and it's many, many years ago, mm. a whole other lifetime ago. But I know what it takes to really survive uh, something really tragic, right? And when they feel overwhelmed, especially my older son, and he gets really down, I'm like, you, you know, this is going to end and, and we are going to make it through it. Right. And I know you feel really sad right now and it's okay to feel sad, but know that it, that your sadness will, you'll work through this sadness and we'll work through this together. And I, I, I can help you with this. Right. So I'm trying to support him and encourage him and, and, and try and get support for him if he needs it. He sees me going to therapy. I, I go I do remote therapy every other week. So that's what I try and bring is like, you know, and also support my younger son too. He doesn't need, he's 13 and he does not have a much emotion to my older one. So anyways, that's what I've, I've been doing. And, and it is a balance, right? Like I have to deal with my own anxiety and my own sometimes PTSD that might come up. But they go, God, or do we expose ourselves? Like my son had a fever at one point, you know, and I had to bring myself down like he's not going to die or things are going to be horrible. And and he didn't. He didn't have COVID. Right. But it's just showing like, you know, bad things can happen, but you can make it through. There there is this will end (laughs) and we can make it by keeping ourselves healthy. Well, Karen, thank you for sharing that. And and for also just talking about how this year has been traumatic and for a lot of people as well who've been in extremely tough situations and you know your your comment about you know using tools from past traumatic experience to try to address what's happening here also just shows the gravity of this past year that we're still all trying to process in in different ways um we we have a listener who wrote in, Mary writes, for me, 2020 has been a very particular descent into hell. I have been in a two-year process of escaping an abusive spouse. I have two sons who were 11 and 12 at the beginning of the pandemic. The abuser was successful in using family court to turn my sons against me and gain full custody where he no longer had to pay me child support. His ability to keep our son shut inside with him for months on end has allowed him to isolate my children from me, the outside world, and their lifelong support system. The 
fact that the abuser has used the pandemic to keep my children from me has been soul crushing. For women moms like me, the pandemic has been traumatizing. Carvel Wallace, I know that you've been thinking a lot about trauma lately. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any reactions to, to what Karen or Mary shared. I do, and I have been. I'm working on um, a book about people's recovery from childhood trauma, including my own, and, and it's kind of, kind of like the daily attempts we make to build a life after surviving childhood traumas. And, you know, a thing I've been meditating a lot on recently in that regard, um, that meditating on trauma is the gift that keeps on giving. I keep finding new things to consider, but the thing I've been meditating a lot on lately is ironically, given the time we're in, the function of community. Mm -hmm. One of the realities of trauma in my experience is that particularly certain kinds can make it difficult for us to trust people and to be fully open. The people we seek to manage our relationships with others. We will let people in to a certain extent, but not to another extent. We will sort of let one person in to this part of us and another person into this part of us because we fear on some level that to be fully seen is the same as being harmed. And what I have found is that recovery from trauma has a great deal to do with developing honest relationships and community around you, people who know what you're going through, especially when, when harm is active happening to you in your adult life, which is the case in what was just described it becomes vitally important that there are others. I think it's really commendable and brave that this person reached out to us on this radio program and said, look, this is what I'm going through. Because one of the things I found is that when I when harm is happening to me, the last thing I wanna do is tell anyone about it. I'm ashamed, I'm afraid, I feel like it must be my fault on some level. How could I have gotten myself in this situation? This is so embarrassing. Even if I know that I'm not wrong, just the shame of it makes me, prevents me from being honest with people. So I found that the antidote to that is to tell people what I'm going through and to receive that support from other people who are going through it. That doesn't fix everything, but it allows us, it allows our grief to be accompanied by the care and love of others, which allows us to emotionally survive and face what needs facing. That's the kind of the main thought that came to me when I was listening um, to, to the caller, uh, to, the, to the person who wrote in. Yeah. Chris in San Francisco, join us. Hi, Chris. Hey, hey how's it going? Uh, this year has been definitely a year of uh, ups and lows. Um, you know, in January, my wife, we found out we were pregnant. Um, in March, uh, late March, my mom got admitted to the hospital with COVID. She was in the hospital for about 12 weeks, uh, about seven weeks in ICU. My wife had a baby in August, and, you know, it, it was just, uh, you know, the biggest ups and downs. And one of the things that I uh, I learned, you know, and it kind of hit me when you said the thing about community is you know, continuing to ask my wife and have her ask me what I need and what we need to communicate with each other to get through this. But also understanding that I may not be the person that she needs to talk to and that her best friends and her sister and her, her parents and all those people sometimes are, are uh, better suited to handle different situations that exist to come about during this time. And that's something that, you know, I've had to learn over the course of the last couple of years, but it's definitely more pronounced this last year with having my mom be in the hospital and then having a new baby come into the world. It's all just kind of come together that, you know, community is everything. You know, thanks for sharing those reflections, Chris, and thank, and congratulations also on the new baby. <laughs> and, uh, 
I mean, what what I hear so much um, in the the comments and responses that people are having to this show is just how much learning has happened and how much readjustment, like recalibrating, that's been basically like a constant throughout this entire year, um, as we've had to encounter things that, that we never really thought we ever would, Anne-Marie Baldonado. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, our kids and socialization um, and being able to connect with friends. I think, you know, I, I'm going to share that I personally have had trouble sort of um, making connections as far as, you know, always checking in with myself if I need to talk to a friend or, you know, um, get any sort of help. And in some ways with us mostly at home, it's more, you know, more difficult to reach out like, and, um, and there are fewer opportunities for kind of casually um, connecting with people. And I, I, you know, for, you know, since we're talking about parenting, like, I think it's important for me and for other parents to find these ways of reaching out and, and sharing, you know, the, you know, what we're struggling with, you know, like, like, every, like, um, everyone's saying this idea of community, um, because it's maybe harder to remember to do that for oneself, you know, as one focuses on it for, um, for our kids, you know, right. remember that it's also important for yourself. And, you know, in some ways, being at home can, you know, there, it's easier, maybe, to find time for, you know, to get um, help you need as far as therapy. Um, there are some things that maybe are, are easier, or there are still ways to do that. And I know I have to remember to do that to figure out mm. ways to reach out, because sometimes that's hard. Carvel, yeah, did you want to, yeah, add something. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add about that, which is that I think a lot of times if you're like, if anyone's like me, when someone says, oh, go build community, you're like, what? I don't, <laughs> why would I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to talk to these people. I don't even like these people. You know, that's kind of like my default <laughs> setting. And um, one of the things that I have learned over the years is that it's not like go and find these perfect people who will heal you and solve everything and then tell them what's going on. In fact, it's almost the opposite, that if you talk honestly about what you're experiencing, a community springs up around you. Um, that's part of, it's almost like the, it's, I, I think I thought that like, I have to go and find the right people to like be my best friends and no one was good enough. And so I'm ever forever going to be alone, but I found the opposite that like, I have to be honest and unburden myself of what I'm going through, even things I'm afraid of or ashamed of or afraid to say. And I find that that honesty allows people to connect with me, allows me to receive support and helps kind of a fellowship spring up around me. Yeah. And and as Anne-Marie was saying, even realizing that you need that uh, can be a process. Yeah. But once you do the things that yeah. you can do uh, to get there. As Susan writes, it seems like families and communities have set up kids for disappointment by talking about how many activities are not happening because of COVID. There are always limitations on what we can do, at least in this situation. They're shared by all of us. Certainly for young adults graduating from high school and college, it is a disappointment not to share that accomplishment in traditional ways. Do the guests feel that constant discussion of these limits set up young children for feelings of deprivation? Any thoughts on that, Anne-Marie or Carvel? Well, I think, you know, I, I do think talking about those things or those uh, 
those missed opportunities or uh, things, you know, milestones or, or ritual that we're not able to take part of. I think that it's important to talk about it. To acknowledge uh, because, that, yeah. Yeah, to not like to help uh, our kids or us <laughs> process that it, it's, um, it's sad that we're not able to do those things. Um, and sometimes, I don't know, I personally feel like, like bright siding, like talking about the bright side, sometimes I can make uh, someone who's sad or grieving even sadder, you know? Um, but I do think, so I do think it's good to address it, perhaps um, wallowing in it or just focusing on that is not the best thing to do and trying to find these new weird things that we are doing and and sort of valuing them as well. Yes. I'm not sure. You're reminding me of that earlier listener comment about documenting what they want to keep from this time, just as a way of, of thinking about the gains. Mm. And uh, I want to remind everybody that we are talking with Anne-Marie Baldonado, longtime producer and contributor to NPR's Fresh Air and host of Parent Trapped from Common Sense Media, and Carvel Wallace, contributing writer at New York Times Magazine. And uh, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go to Grace in Richmond. Hi, Grace. Hi there. Good morning. Thanks so much for calling. What, what's on your mind? Um, I just wanted to contribute to the point about community that was brought up earlier by the guests. Um, my experience so far has been uh, my kids' school. I have a, a seven and eight-year-old, and their school would hold a weekly tea party via Zoom. And it would be held in the evenings and parents who are able to make it would uh, contribute to a topic that would be brought up. And uh, usually it would be focusing around how the parents are doing during COVID or what activities um, or, or different activities we could, um, mm. we could do together as, uh, as a community. And I think a lot of the time the real connection point would be when a parent breaks down or talks mm. about what their children are going through and it would kind of bring out a collective sense mm -hmm. of togetherness, which I feel has brought a lot of richness to our school community. And um, yeah, I just, uh, it, it kind of, it hit a note for me when um, the, the speaker brought up uh, community during this time and the importance of knowing we're not in it um, by ourselves or being, you know, alone. So yeah, that's, that's um, I just wanted to share that with everyone. Thanks for sharing that, Grace. I do think that, yes, this pandemic has made people be a little more intentional about uh, how to create community among people. And it's nice to hear this, this school doing that. Um, this sister, speaking of which, this sister tweets, working from home and juggling a seven and nine-year-old as they remote learn through only three days, a w though only three days a week, the other two are in the classroom, is physically and mentally exhausting. But listening in on their Google Classrooms when they answer the questions correctly makes me proud. <laughs> so this person is, is sharing both the stress, but also, I, I mean, I kind of relate to this because one of the things that happened for me was just a real appreciation of the very small moments, the simple moments of joy. Um, and 
and and trying to make those happen as much as possible, or at least recognizing when they do to release a little bit of the stress of everything that we're experiencing. The sister Angela writes, a positive has been the closeness of this time, lots of board games, nature walks, playing catch, baking. A negative has been the negotiations with other parents. People have different risk tolerances, which is natural. However, that has meant judgments and lost friendships. And this listener writes, I'm 26 and don't have children, but I feel like I've been parenting my parents since the beginning of the Mm -hmm. pandemic. They're in their 60s and they have relentlessly asked my brother and I to enter their household throughout the pandemic. Every time I go over to visit from a distance, I have to assert my boundaries anew. They consistently act disappointed when I won't come inside. This is very frustrating for me and has has led me to saying things like, I'm only doing this because I love you, which used to drive me crazy as a kid, but now I understand. This role reversal has become a very strange staple of the pandemic. Huh. I don't know, Henry or, or Carvel, if you have any thoughts on that or uh, heard about experiences well, of that. Emory? Yeah, well, I do think, I do think, I mean, particularly this time of year, I do think that not only are we dealing with different risk levels, but sort of, you know, um, feelings about the virus and health and community and our responsibility to others. I think it's all, you know, everyone sort of has a different um, threshold for all these things. And having to deal with family members and in particular about this, it's very difficult. I don't have an answer for it. But I do yeah. think like everybody's idea of what safety is, is, is different. And it's tough. It's and I, I can maybe just say that I can I can commiserate. Um, I don't have an answer, yeah. but well, but it's true. Yes, you do. and then for people, uh, you know, p- parents with young kids, and then you know, if we're lucky enough to still have our parents, d- like sort of managing up as well, it's it's kind of a struggle for yes. sure. <laughs> well, we we just have thirty seconds left, and Carvel, I want to know what is the frame of mind with which you are approaching twenty twenty one. <laughs> uh just a lot of space and forgiveness for my own shortcomings for my kids perceived shortcomings which aren't really shortcomings or just growth for my partner just just for their mom just 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 space and patience and just letting things unfold as they do and trying my best to offer love when i can emory 10 seconds yeah, I'm just remembering the the lessons we learned earlier, things like routine, things like getting outside, trying to be active. I, they really do help, you know, seeing a tree when everyone's scooped up. That can be only to a lot of joy for, for everyone in the household. <laughs> well, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Carvel Wallace, thanks to both of you for joining us. Really appreciate having your insights. And also thanks to our listeners for their stories and also their comments. Judy Campbell produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Thanks so much. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.